Well, now we're going to turn over to the book of Malachi. And what is the key to our children's faith? That is the question that we're going to answer this morning. What is the key to our children's faith? Now, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will, we will dive in. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as the church, uh, to physically be here, even though half of us are online, uh, half of us are here, and, and an opportunity to worship and gather together to, to minister to one another um, and to hear your word, God. And this morning, as we open your word, we ask that, that we would take this and we would apply it to our lives, that the fathers and future fathers would apply this message uh, to their own lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've already mentioned, today is, is Father's Day. And it's a day, an opportunity for us to celebrate the fathers and, and even, even the father figures in our lives. Uh, many of us have fathers, um, but we also have other men who have, who have been mentors to us and, and who, who we can celebrate today as well. And fathers and fatherhood is important, especially uh, given the times in which we currently live. I mean, when you think about it, men, they, they are emasculated in the culture. The role of leader is, is denigrated. If fathers are seen as important, it is, it is only as the financial provider in their family. But here's the thing. Children are looking for more than just financial provision. Children are looking for love. Children are looking for guidance. Children are looking for role models of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a leader. Men and especially male leadership is important in the life of children. It's a few years old now, but, but I found this research from the Heritage Foundation, and this, this shows to be true. Their, their 2016 Index of Culture and Opportunity reported that in households, where fathers are present, children tend to fare better cognitively. They are better behaved. They have a better psychological well-being, are less likely to be delinquents and find themselves incarcerated. They're less likely to abuse substances and end up in poverty when they get older. Many children will delay sexual activity. They will attend college. They will get a higher paying job. And the result of all of this is that their future families will be stable. Clearly, fathers are important in the life of their families, in the life of their kids. Our presence, our, our leadership in our families is absolutely necessary if we want our kids, even our grandkids, to succeed. And while being present in the home and in the life of our kids is important, we are we're called to do more than just, than just be there, to be present. That, that is a good first start. We, we've got to be in, involved in the life of our families. But that's a good first start. We are called to lead in a specific way, a way in which I believe that, that many fathers are failing. And how are we to lead fathers? What is the result of our failure? Well, interestingly, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the book that we are going to look at this morning, reveals the answer to us. While this book is not explicitly about fathers, while this book is probably not a text that many people are going to preach over Father's Day, I do believe it is an important text that it does highlight the issue that we see in many households today. So what's going on in the book of Malachi? Well, Malachi, he's one of the last prophets in the Old Testament to come. When, when he comes on the scene, many of the people, they've, they've returned from exile in Babylon. If you remember, they, they were exiled from the promised land because they did not follow the Lord's will. And so they have returned from exile in Babylon. The, the temple has been rebuilt at the urging of Haggai and, and Zechariah. Worship has been restored in the temple. 
But the excitement for worship, the excitement that Haggai and, and Zechariah had stirred up, this excitement had waned. Instead of worshiping God faithfully and rightfully, the temple worship has become routine. It is just another box for these folks to go about checking on their daily activities and their weekly activities. But here's the thing, they weren't even checking the box well at all. God required them to bring the first fruits, the first and the best of the owners, but, but they, they, weren't, they weren't doing that. So look at verse 8 of chapter 1 with me. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And so here we have the people, instead of bringing the first fruits, instead of bringing the best to the Lord, instead of bringing the sacrifice that God required, they are bringing the lame, they are bringing the sick, they, they are bringing those that they don't want anyways. And, and Malachi is calling them out. He's saying, look, would you even bring a gift like this to your own governor? If you would not bring a gift to a, a, a human, why would you bring this gift like this to your heavenly father, to, your, to the creator and the, the sustainer, the all-sovereign God of this universe. Why would you bring a gift like that to him? But that's not all. So let's continue down in verse 12. There God indicts them further, reveals why they're holding back. He says, but you profane it, speaking of the temple and the altars. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And so why are they holding back? Well, they're holding back because they didn't fear God. They had, they had no reverence. They had no respect for God. They didn't recognize that God was the creator. They didn't recognize God was, was the all-sovereign God of this universe. They did not recognize that God was the king. And why is that? I mean, aren't they supposed to be God's chosen people, the nation that, that is descended from, from Abraham after all? Why didn't they fear God? Why did they not recognize God as king? Why is that? Well, they didn't recognize these things about God because they, they, don't, they didn't really understand who God was. Now, this is not for lack of ability. We are, we are all created in the image of God. We all have the capability to understand who God is. We all have the capability of having a relationship with God. We are, we are capable of, of responding to God in worship. But if we're going to worship God, we need to know His will. And so so that we can worship him on his own terms. And I believe this is where many were going wrong, especially in our culture. You know, some of us, you know, they, they want to be spiritual without being religious. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've talked to people before and they say, you know, I'm not really religious, but, but, but I'm, a, I'm a spiritual, I'm a spiritual person. And while it's, what that is, it's just, it's just code for, hey, I, I want to approach God on my own terms. I don't want anybody to tell me how I am supposed to worship God. I want to approach God on my own terms because it makes me feel good to say that I'm spiritual. It makes me feel good to say that I am worshiping God. But, but I don't want anyone to tell me how I should live. I don't want anybody to tell me that I need to change my life. But here's the thing. 
If, if the God that you worship cannot challenge you, if the God that you worship cannot change you, then that is really no God at all. All that is is a figment of your own imagination. And of course, what are we going to do? We are going to create a God that agrees with us 100%. We don't want to feel convicted. We don't want to have to change. We want to create a God that agrees with us. This is what these folks are doing who say, I want to be spiritual without being religious. Or others worship God by just going through the motions. So they, they attend worship service every now and again. They, they sing a few songs. They, they throw some money in the plate. They, and they, then they go about the rest of the week just kind of living however it is that they want to live. They don't, they don't think about anything else. They don't think about God at all. They, they've checked the box, right? They, they've come to church. They, they've given their things. They've done a few things. And now they're, they're going to feel good about themselves and they're going to go off the rest of the week and they're going to live how they want. They say, you know, God, I will give you one hour on Sunday and maybe two hours if I decide that I'm going to go to Sunday school that week. And maybe, maybe you will get like a Wednesday night every now and again. But the rest of the week, the rest of the month, God, man, that is, that is mine. This is how folks live. They worship God just by going through the motions. But here's the thing. Worship is not approaching God on our own terms. Instead, worship involves us properly responding to God's will and seeking to glorify God above anything else in our lives. That's what it means to worship God. We do worship God when we come here and we sing. And, and you hear the preached word, that's certainly worship. But, but we must go and we must live according to God's word throughout the week. That, that is worship. God says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. That is our proper worship. And that's what it looks like. It looks like us giving ourselves to the Lord each and every single day in worship to Him by living according to His wisdom and His will. And this is where the people to whom Malachi prophesied fell short. I mean, these people, they were certainly capable of understanding God's will. They had the ability. They even had access to God's will. He, he, had, he had given them his will. He had given them his law through Moses. He'd given them his law through the prophets. He, he's constantly sending prophets to them to, to call them to live according to, to his word. They, were giving, they had the capability as well as they had the access to understanding God's will. But they still weren't worshiping God rightly. Knowing that brings up an interesting question. If the people were capable of understanding God's will and they had access to God's will, why were they falling short? Why did they not properly worship God? Well, one of the reasons, and this isn't the only reason, but, but one of the reasons, I believe, is because the priests weren't leading the people well. The priests were not leading the people well. Notice in verse 6, it is the priests who are called out for despising God. He says, O son, honor, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. Then in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, And now, O priests, the command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. And so the people were not worshiping God rightly because the priests were not instructing them rightly. They weren't leading the people well at all. 
More specifically, the priests weren't instructing the people rightly in God's word. Com- comparing the, the current priest to the, to the first of the Levitical priests, to the first of, of the high priests, in verse 6, we see true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from their iniquities. And this occurred because the priest fulfilled the role that God had given. Verse 7, For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But then we have this contrast from, from the original priests that were first installed in the nation of Israel. We have this contrast to what the priests are doing now in verses 8 and 9. But you have turned aside from my way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despise and abase before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. The people did not worship the Lord rightly because the priests did not instruct them rightly. They weren't spiritual leaders. They weren't leading people to fear the Lord. They were just going through the motions and the priests were not even doing a great job of going through the motions. And so what's the result? Well, the result we see is that that the people were bringing these improper sacrifices and and the priests were allowing it to happen. They didn't say anything about it when they brought the improper sacrifices. The the people, they they took foreign wives. And and because they took foreign wives, they were then led into idolatry in the nation because they were beginning to worship the foreign wives' gods. The very thing that God told them not to do, they're here doing. And the priests are allowing it to take place. Now, in order to marry these women, They had to go and they had to divorce their own wives, which broke a covenant that they made with God. And because the priests weren't instructing the people rightly, the people didn't worship God rightly, and they ended up breaking God's covenant. And so this is a serious matter. It shows you how important it is that leaders lead according to God's word. The text has to be which the ministry is founded on. The amazing thing is that even though they weren't worshiping the Lord rightly and they, they, were, they were participating in all of these activities, they ended up lamenting that God was not blessing the nation. They had the audacity to cry out to God that he wasn't blessing them. Verse 13 of chapter 2. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. And so the people, they weren't worshiping the Lord rightly. They broke covenant with God and they complained that God was not blessing them, mainly because the priests were not leading them rightly. And I know that we look at them and we think, man, how dare, how dare they treat God like that? Well, here's the thing. Before we saddle up on our high horse, we, we've got to look ourselves in the mirror. We do the same thing at times. We expect God to bless us. We expect God to bless our family, even though we want to worship God on our own terms and we just go through the motions ourselves. We weep and we groan just like these people do when God does not, when God does not bless us. And we wonder, where's God at? I mean, I have, I have upheld my end of the bargain here. I mean, I, I've done what God has, has asked me to do. I'm going to church and I'm giving some money here and the tithes and the offerings. Uh, you know, I go to Sunday school every now and again. Where is God in, in all of this? Why isn't he blessing my family like he said that he would? God must not exist. God must hate me. God must not like me. God must not be capable of doing any of these things. So before we saddle up on our horse, we've got to look in the mirror because honestly, many of us are failing just like the priests. And how is that? 
Well, fathers are failing to lead their families spiritually. Came across a recent Pew Forum, and this is, you know, not my opinion, right? This is, this is what research says. Here's what this Pew Forum said. 47% of men said that, they were, that religion was very important in their life. And about half of those responded and said, I pray daily. But only 30% reported that they read Scripture at least once a week. And 50% reported that they never read Scripture at all. And when it comes to church attendance, only 31% of men attend church weekly, while 33% attend a few times a year, and 35% reported that they hardly ever attend church at all. And when it comes to men meeting with others in prayer group or or Bible study, it gets worse. 62% reported that they never ever meet with another man to study God's Word. Only 21% reported that they do. Just to be forthright, these statistics are, are all men who were surveyed. When we drill down and we look at, you know, Baptist evangelicals, the trend does get a little bit better, but it doesn't get that much better, men. So, you know, we, we are still culpable in all of this stuff. Now, what do these slides reveal? Well, examining these statistics, it's clear that, that men value religion, but not the Scriptures, church worship, or meeting together with other men to study God's Word. That's where we're going wrong. If we're going to lead our kids to know and live according to God's will, which is found in his word, we've got to know God's word, which means that we have to read scripture. We have to to study scripture in community with one another. We have to hear scripture preached on a regular basis. And when I say scripture, I mean scripture, not just some five-minute feel-good devotional that, that that we pick up. Right? I'm talking about actually reading and picking up the text of God's Word and saying, I'm going to devote my life to read and study God's Word. This is why we're doing a Scripture reading program this year. While we're working through the text of Scripture together in order for us to, to read God's Word and to value the text. And if we are all reading that together, then men, we have an opportunity to talk to other people about what is going on in the text. We have an opportunity to say, hey, did you read today's reading? Man, can you, can you help me understand what's going on here? Wow, this, this really impacted me today as I, was, as I was reading that. We've got that opportunity. We're trying, to, we're trying to facilitate that as a church. We just have to take advantage of those things. We have to pick up our Bibles every single day and set aside, like, it honestly takes like 15 minutes. Set aside 15 minutes to sit down and read a few chapters and read a psalm and pray. That's all that it takes. A few minutes every single day. The opportunity is there. We just have to do it. But many men, they're not doing it. We are not doing that. We we are not going to God's Word. We're going to some other devotional, right? Like, I know you guys are going to hate me for saying this. We we, we read stuff like Jesus Calling. Jesus Calling is written by a middle-aged woman. It is extra-biblical stuff that she just sat down and read as, wrote as she thought Jesus was talking to her. It's not a book that we need to be reading and basing our life off of. We need to be reading and basing our life off of God's Word. That's what we have to go to every single day. If we're going to lead our family spiritually, if we don't, we're going to be like the priests who Malachi is, is coming and saying that they need to do better. He's calling them out because they are not leading the people spiritually. 
And honestly, man, we can't afford to fail at leading our families and leading spiritually. Another survey that I came across, which is actually a, a Swiss survey, but, but I think that there is you know, some warrant for these statistics in the U.S. as well. It says that in households where the father stayed home from church and only mothers went to the service every week, a minuscule 2 to 3% of children grew up to do the same. And, and so we think, man, you know, I'll let my, I'll let my family go to church. Uh, that, that's completely fine. I'm going to stay home and, and they can go with mom or we drop them off. But in households where both the father and the mother attended, that number jumped up to 33% of children would attend later in life with a further 41% coming to church irregularly. Now, here's where the statistics get a bit strange. In families where only the father attended church regularly, and the mom stayed home, the percentage went way up. 44% would then attend as adults. Now, this doesn't mean that mothers need to stay home, right? There's some sort of anomaly that's going on here. But that doesn't mean mothers need to stay home. I mean, we need to be going as a family unit. But, but what we see here is that men attending church with their children has a huge, a huge impact. And, and again, this is just men attending church. This is not men sitting down with their kids uh, you know, at the breakfast table or the dinner table or, or before bed at night and, and reading God's word with them and instructing them in God's word. This is like literally men just going to church. You see, our kids, they, they look to us for guidance. Case in point, you know, I remember a conversation that I had with Camden. We were on vacation last year and we were at the beach and, and uh I don't know why I did this, but, but I decided that I was going to preach the Sunday after I got back from the beach, and I should have just got somebody to fill in for me. But, but I'm in there and preparing my sermon and things like that. And, and, and Camden comes in and he says, Dad, and I know this is going to sound kind of weird, but, you know, he's, he was six years old at the time. Dad, I'm watching you. And I'm like, whoa, he's watching me. Like, he's like, yeah, I, I see what you value. He didn't say value, but, you know, I, I see that, that you like technology, and I see that you do this, and I see that you do that. I mean, unprompted, he, he said these things. The thing is, men, our kids are watching us. Not in a creepy way, but they're watching us. They're, they're looking to see what are we modeling for them? What is it that, that we're doing that they should be doing? See, this is what this, this survey is, is showing. When we send our kids to church, what our kids are watching us say is, church is for kids and women. It's not for men. So when you get to be a man like me, you can stay home on the couch and get ready for football. That's what, that's what we are telling our kids when we just send them. When we just drop them off, you know, to Wednesday night or Sunday church, we're telling our kids, man, church is for kids. Church is for, not for men. So we need to be leading our kids. Only 2 to 3% attend as adults if the father stays home. We must lead our kids, and that means that we must be involved in their life. That means that we must bring them with us to church. We must model what it looks like to be a man to them. We must model what it looks like to be a spiritual leader to them. We must model the value of God's word by getting up and reading it each and every single day. Think of the impact of your kid just seeing you read the scripture as they come out of their room in the morning, day in and day out. And then, and then think about the impact that you have with your kids as you just sit down and, and talk about God's word with them. Amen. You know, one thing that, that we've been doing in my house lately is, is that 
Is it dinner time? Because we were kind of honestly getting off of it when, it when it came to bedtime, right? It was getting later and later and kids are getting crazy and they don't want to hear the Bible story we're reading. And so we were just kind of getting frustrated with that and tired with that. And we kind of let that slip for a bit. But, but one of the things that, that, that I've been doing is just take a proverb or two. And I read the proverb and then we just talk about what it means right there at the dinner table. We do this every single night. It's become a habit in our family for the last several weeks. We just open up the Proverbs. I have it on my phone. You know, I right? don't have your phone at the dinner table, but if you're reading the Proverbs, it's okay to have your phone at the dinner table. Uh, but, but we just do that. One or two Proverbs every night, and, and we talk about what the words mean in that and talk about the impact that that has. We are presenting our kids with, with biblical wisdom when we do that. And we're presenting ourselves with biblical wisdom. I'm, I'm learning, having to explain to them what all of these different words mean and, and how the contrast is functioning here in the Proverbs. And that, that's simple. That's something that, that you can do as well. Just take one or two Proverbs, not the whole chapter, like literally one or two Proverbs, and talk about that at the dinner table with your kids. We have the ability to do this. And that's because all Christians are priests. In 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. From this verse, we, we gather the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Basically, this means that, that we all have access to God. We don't need to go through some sort of priest or some sort of intermediary. It, it also means that, that we can all live holy lives. We can all worship God. We can all seek God directly. Right? We don't got to go to a priest and sit in a box and confess our sins or pray to some sort of saint or anything like that. Right? We, we get access to God. We're all priests. The temple, the veil was torn in two when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. Amen. And that is to say that we can then go into the Holy of Holies ourselves. We don't need a high priest to go in there for us. As well as it means that, that we can instruct others ourselves. We can understand God's Word. At the end of verse 9 in 1 Peter 2, we're told that we are to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Which means that we are to proclaim Christ to the world and our families in both word and in both deed. But, but if we're going to instruct others, again, we have to know God's Word. When we don't know the Bible, we can't live according to God's Word, nor can we lead others to do the same. If we're going to lead spiritually, we have to have some sort of spiritual knowledge in the well upon which we can draw from. But the problem is, men, is that many of us, our well is dry. We simply don't know God's Word, and so we can't lead spiritually. But here's the thing. We can know and we can understand God's Word. If you are a believer, the Spirit indwells in you. One of, the Spirit, one of the things that the Spirit does is he, he illumines God's Word to us. We learned about this in John 16. Now, I, I put this in after I sent the slides to Chris, so I don't have a slide for you. But John 16, 12 through 13. I still have many things to say to you. This is Jesus to his disciples. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. We are capable of understanding God's Word if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now, you might say, well, I come to church. 
I, I hear the word preached. I even go to Sunday school. Isn't that enough? Well, the answer is no. Attending church, hearing the preached word, attending Sunday school class is a great start. It's a start. But if we want to have some spiritual water in the well upon which we can draw from so that we might be able to instruct our children, so that we might be able to instruct our own lives, we've got to start putting water in that well. And the way that we put water in that well is to read God's Word. That's what we have to do day in, day out. And as we saturate ourselves in God's Word, we will then have some water that we can draw out of that well and give it to others. And all this tells us then that that we have to do more than just bring our kids to church. Even though that is a great start. You saw. You saw the statistics there. 33% will continue to come. And if you leave mom at home, 44%. But don't leave mom at home. Right? But we've got to do more than that. We are all capable of instructing our kids and we must, we must do that. And that's the key to our children's faith. Fathers lovingly leading their children to God in both word and deed. But sadly, just like the priest to whom Malachi is speaking, this is where many men have failed. We have failed to lead our families, and they're floundering because of it. And oftentimes, parents, they'll scratch their heads at all the statistics that that they see flying at them on on a daily basis. The, the, The pregnancy rate and the drug use and the divorce rate and the cultural issues that their kids are championing. The consumer debt that is just amounting with their kids. We scratch our heads and we wonder, why are these things happening? I mean, it's a complicated issue, right? I mean, there's sin that is involved. There's societal pressures that is involved. But, but we can't just write all this stuff off as societal pressures. We can't just write all this stuff off as, as just sin, our kids' problems. No, we have to take ownership ourselves. When you survey biblical history, church history, the church today, we find one major reason that these things are occurring, and that's because many men are failing to lead their families spiritually. But there is hope. I don't want to leave you without hope. I'm not just trying to beat you up. There's hope in all of this, right? I just want your eyes to be open to see how important it is for us to lead. But there's hope. Malachi's message is not all gloom and doom. In the middle of verse 7 of chapter 3, he offers a glimmer of hope. He says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Those who return to God, those who begin to lead spiritually, those who, who worship God rightly will experience his blessing instead of his judgment. And that's what the rest of the chapter, verse 3, goes on to, to highlight. When we do this, when we repent, we turn to God, we show ourselves to be his, and the truth of verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4 will be ours. So look at chapter 4, 2 and 3. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So those who are gods will be shown to be right. They will be vindicated. They will experience healing. Vindication and healing for those who are sinful, those who have rebelled against a holy and just God is only possible because the true son of righteousness came who is Jesus Christ. He has shown his light into the darkness. He's providing salvation to us. And because of his sacrifice, we can return to God. We can experience healing. We can lead and guide our family spiritually. So it's not about us. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that I just got to pull up my bootstraps and I just got to try harder because the pastor said that I've got to read the scriptures and I've got to teach those to my kids. That's not, you got to do that. But it's not you in your own strength who is going to do that. 
It is Jesus who is working in you. It is the Holy Spirit whom Jesus has sent when he left. We talked about this in John. Who is empowering us to have this ministry to our kids. And most importantly, it is by seeing and valuing and treasuring Jesus above all things. By being so affected by his love for us that we want others to experience the same. By being captivated by Jesus. When we realize the judgment that Jesus saves us from, when we realize the sin that Jesus calls us out of and the bondage that that sin had us in, when we realize all of these things, we should be excited, so excited that that Malachi talks about we will leap like calves coming out of the stalls. Jesus, the salvation that he offers us Man, that should excite us. That should draw us in. That should motivate us to seek after God and to lead others to seek after Him as well. Because we want them to be so captivated by Jesus, just as we are. We want them to experience the love and the hope of Jesus, just like we do. And if you don't know this excitement, man, you might not know Jesus. But here's the good news. The same hope that that Malachi offers to the priest, he offers to you. If you would admit your inadequacies, if you would turn from your sins, if you would believe in Jesus alone, that, that he alone saves you, then you will be healed from your wounds, Isaiah 53, 5. And instead of facing his judgment, Malachi 3 through 6, you will experience a relationship with the Father. And so the good news is, is that you can experience hope. You can experience healing if you would turn to Jesus. If you would allow Jesus to to captivate you. If you would would meditate on the gospel and just realize how, how great of news it is. It's good news. It is the best news that you could ever hear. And it's news that you should preach to yourself over and over and over again, reminding yourself of what Christ has done for you, reminding yourself of the plan of God, reminding yourself of his love for you. You see, the key to a child's faith is a father who lovingly leads his children to Jesus while beholding and seeing and savoring Jesus himself. And that last part there, that, that we are beholding that we are seeing Jesus for who he really is, that we are savoring Jesus for who he really is. Man, that's the key. That's the key that's going to get us up in the morning, that's going to drive us to the Scriptures. That's the key that's going to drive us to prayer. That's the key that's going to drive us to teach our kids when they're being bad. And they just, they've had it. That's gonna, uh, the key that's going to allow us to figure out other ways in which we might saturate them with God's Word. Seeing and savoring Jesus ourselves and wanting others to see and savor Jesus in the same way that we do. That's what the gospel does to us. And then when this, is, when this happens, right, when we are lovingly leading our children to Jesus while beholding him ourselves, then we will be the spiritual leaders that God has called us to be. Then we will lead our children to the foot of the cross and we will teach them God's word to worship him properly. And so if you haven't turned to the son of righteousness, if you, if you haven't experienced the healing that is in his wings, man, now is an opportunity for you to do that. And we're not going to have our normal time of response. I'll be outside if you want to talk to me afterwards. And I'd be, love to share more about Jesus and, 
in the gospel, but, but now, if God is working in your heart right now, now is an opportunity for you to repent of your sin and to believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior and to experience hope that only Jesus can offer. Now is an opportunity for you to turn to the Son of Righteousness. And if you have turned to Him, if you have repented of your sins, if you do believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, men, now is an opportunity to see and to savor Him and to begin leading your families spiritually. The key to a child's faith is a father who lovingly leads his children while beholding, seeing, and savoring Jesus Himself. And so fathers, let's turn to Jesus today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for the ways in which you provide for us. We thank you, God, that, that you are a God who cares enough about us that you would send your son who would, who would die for us. And you give us an opportunity to profess faith in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, and you empower us to be the spiritual leaders that you call us to be, God. Lord, we ask you today, if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus, that you would work in their life, that you would call them to yourselves, that they would know the hope of Jesus. And for us who do know the hope of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you would work in our lives, that you would motivate us to be the men that you have called us to be, so that we might lead our families as we are seeing and savoring, as we are beholding Jesus, as we are captivated by Jesus. Captivate us today, God, so that we might be the spiritual leaders that you have called us to be. In this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.